Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are in southern France, up in the mountains in a tiny little village with a longtime European hasher who travels all over, sometimes in his own special hashing vehicle. Today on the podcast, welcome. I like your boobs. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much. Good to be here. Let's do your origin story. When and where and how did you first start hashing? Um, I was actually in Tunisia. My father was assigned to the U.S. Embassy as a military liaison officer. Tunisia in June of 1979. Two British guys from the British Embassy talked to my dad and said, hey, have you heard this thing called hashing? My dad hadn't. And he said, well, we'd love to tell you all about it and we'd love to do it, but we want you to set it up. <laughs> so my dad just, you know, being the gung-ho uh, infantry guy he was, he said he'd be glad to. He got it all set up and we started hashing. Uh, the Carthage hash started in 1979 and we were hashing together. I was voluntold to help out uh, since I was basically uh, indentured servant to my parents. It was just, I'm very happy that I was able to start hashing there. How old were you? I was 17 and we were allowed to drink over there at that age. Uh, so it wasn't a big deal about drinking beer. I was enjoying the free beer. Do you remember the early days? How many people, where were they from? It was mostly embassy people because, there, you know, the, there weren't a lot of oil people or anything in Tunisia, but it was like the British embassy, the U.S. embassy, the the Marines that were there to protect the embassy were also running. And I would say we were having about 15 to 25 a week. Traditional hash where it was men only and there were no uh, nicknames or anything in hash names. So, so it was very built on the traditional way uh, of Kuala Lumpur. How about a circle or singing? Any of that? We, we would have a circle, but it would be pretty short, you know, you know, basically recognizing the hairs and then. And if we had any visitors, which were pretty rare. Yeah, it was just more, we did the run. There was no beer stops. We would do the circle, a short circle. And then we would spend the time afterwards to socialize over some beers. What was the terrain like? And what did you mark the trails in? I don't think a lot of people have hashed there. I think on Facebook, you have to be invited or something. Um, but I uh, got in touch with them because I wanted to tell them my dad passed away about three years ago. Oh, uh, and yeah. so I, they're still having some emails there. It's a very co-ed group, very elderly, but it's they're still going as far as I saw like a, maybe a couple months ago. We would do it in flower as, as tradition would do. Uh, and it was a lot of either beach runs or out in the basically their desert or in between Carthage and Tunis, the capital, there was a lot of terrain that was, there are not a lot of trees out there, but there was a lot of terrain that you could run in the sand. Were there ever locals on before you left? Not so much. It was really just the embassy folks. I don't think I recall any locals that were participating, but now from what I've seen on the current account for Carthage Hash, it's mostly locals. So it's an interesting evolution, but it's good. Yeah. And how long did you stay there and where did you go next and find Hash? We were only there for three years and I was only there during the summers because I was going to school over in uh, Germany. From there, we left to Denver, Colorado. There was no hash in Colorado at the time when we got there in 82. My father started the Denver hash uh, because he just wanted to keep hashing. Wow. Your father, did he have a hash name? He had one. He was kind of like, you know, the old school, like the, most of the guys at DCH3. And so he, he made up one for traveling and it was Silver Fox. I know Silver Fox. You do? I do. He was a nice guy. 
I've hashed with him around the world. Right. I didn't know that was your dad. No, what a great, what a great guy. He's a classy, classy guy. Yeah, he was. He was a really good father. And, and we were always, you know, whenever we had the go to the hash weekends and stuff, we'd always share a room because uh, we just got along very well. He didn't mind if I came stumbling in at two or three in the morning, as long as I came home alone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, His hash name, he took that from his family name. Yeah, the family name and basically because he had gray hair so yeah, at yeah. the time. And a gray mustache, right? Yes, very yeah. true. <laughs> that's great. That's nice to make that connection. never knew you knew him. That's really cool. As we discuss here, we may find out we've hashed together a lot of times. I don't know, but your dad made an impression. He's a cool guy. Ah, cool. Let's go then in Denver and how it was setting that up. Did you help at all with establishing Denver? He did everything. And then I was there for the, you know, the first run and and I would help with getting the beer cold and and doing whatever he'd tell me to do. So he did all the background stuff before it started. And then uh, I was just there for the first run. Was that again, a military populated hash? How did he find people? Do you have any idea? It was a mix, as far as I recall. Um, I was just looking at some of the pictures uh, a couple weeks ago. I recognized some of the military folks, but uh, the other people, they definitely didn't look military. And and so I think it was just some people that were runners, you know, because my dad was running a lot and he met people at some of the races and stuff. Was the hash then similar in tradition to what it was in Carthage? It was because that's all my dad knew how. And so, but it changed, I think, fairly quickly. It changed to co-ed probably when he left. And that was because we were only there like three years also. And so I believe that it was uh, it was co-ed fairly quickly after that. And do you remember any of the people? You think any of those people are still hashing from 40 years ago? The only one that I know, he was there maybe just after we left. And that was Ultra Wimp, who's from Denver. Mm-hmm. Says he's the oldest still running with Denver Hash. He's the oldest remaining member. Right. What next for you? Where you lived or where you hashed? After that, we went to DC. Ran with the DCH3 for the first time got to know some of those guys but only ran a couple runs and then uh, i went to the military got stationed in las vegas and, and in las vegas i started with the guy named steve dingle buckberry i believe started the first vegas hash or what we thought was the first vegas hash that that folded after we left we both left and then it's been resurrected uh, as they say what year about was that that you were in las vegas and started that i was there 87 to 92 and i think it was around 1990 that we started it uh-huh Flying Booker was not there, or was he? Not in Vegas, I think. No, I mean, I've only met him before down in Tucson, I believe. He was in Vegas before Ah, Tucson, I think. As he started Mm halfmind.com, I've taken that over at some point and been running that for 10, 15 years. You were a founder of Las Vegas, that first edition, right? I I was, although they only, on the Las Vegas site, they only list uh, Steve Dingle Buckberry. What happened was he contacted me and he said, hey, I heard you were a hasher and and I want to start a Vegas hash here. And would you help? And would you do it? And I'm like, sure. And so... We did all the work together. I created the first T-shirt, and then we were there. We set up the first run and everything. And I've contacted him since uh, since I saw the Vegas site, and I said, hey, Steve, was I considered a co-founder? He said, absolutely. And he's got me an email that said it definitely should have gotten credit, but it's not a big deal. Yeah, we got it started, and it was going well uh, until we left. In reality, it's often a team 
of people that start a club. Bill Panton's Hash Genealogy Project, when he documented, he insisted that there was one founder and other co-founders. So he kind of, because of his genealogy software, he kind of said, pick one. Yeah. yeah. So that, let's talk about founding a hash then. Traditions. Did you follow DC, Carthage? Well, like uh, for, for Vegas, we were uh, different than Carthage and the original Denver because we were co-ed at first. We wanted to be co-ed. We were co-ed the whole time. But the same kind of markings, the same circles, the same down-downs would keep those traditions, but it was the only things that were different. And then we also, in Vegas, we went with uh, hash names. How'd you get yours? Well, I, I didn't get my, my hash name there. I was on a fighter base and I had a call sign. And it was low rent because of my first name. And my <laughs> my general, uh, from, uh, he was a Texas Aggie. He couldn't re- pronounce my name correctly. So he just called me low rent. <laughs> and and then later on, when I finally got to Korea, I just arrived there. And I was uh, dancing with this Kiwi that night after the hash and looked down and she had a nice uh, set of breasts. I said, I like your boobs. And she said, ah, oh, she misheard me. She she said that she thought uh, I liked your boots. And she said, <laughs> she said, thanks. They're very new. And I'm like, <laughs> very new. So then I looked down and I saw she had new boots on. I'm like, oh, no, no. I like your boobs. And it was, then she kind of realized. And then she kind of said, thanks for the dance. And that was the last dance of our night. <laughs> and that story got told. How did that translate into a hash? Yeah, she, well, she, she was a part of the, I think she may have been the GM at the time of, of Southside. Oh boy, yeah. And so, like, not too long after Southside, they, she called me in and, and got me named. Nice. I've hashed with Las Vegas not until the 2000. It's a fun hash, and it's gone over. I think it has subsequently grown, shrunk, grown, etc. They obviously they get a lot of visitors. Were you getting visiting hashers then, or was it too early in hashing days for most people know about the hash? Yeah, we didn't get a lot of visitors. We just had our local people. Yeah, it was just really a group of like 15 or 20 of us. I mean, I recruited some of the people that worked for me to come hashing, which which is why we wanted to have nicknames because uh, it was kind of fraternizing in a way, even though all we were doing is running and drinking together. But well, it's kind of interesting to be at the first run. Uh, your, that's at least two clubs that you've been to the very first hash of along the way. Three, yeah, because of uh, Denver, wow. Carthage, and, and Vegas. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Where next? After Korea, I went to Phoenix and hashed there for three years. I then went to Colorado and was hashing with Pikes Peak in Denver. And then I went to D.C. and was hashing there again a lot with uh, DCH3 and Mount Vernon. And, and White House was pretty big at the time. I was just hashing a bunch there. And then I finally was working as a contractor and said, why am I doing this? I could be living in France since I'm a dual citizen. I picked up, moved over here, bought a Volkswagen camper and little house in the in a village. Nice. Let's stay in and out of the U.S. before you've settled there in France. Did you travel to other events and other clubs around the North America? Yeah, I did as much travel hashing as I could, but I was really uh, had a really busy job, and I, I seemed to be on the road a lot. And if I, if I were happened to be on the road at the right time, um, I was a you know public affairs officer. I had to be careful on sometimes on where I was hashing and what I was doing because of my of the job that I had. For instance, when I got stationed to Colorado Springs, I was the the spokesperson or the public affairs officer for the Air Force Academy, and they were having a sexual assault crisis, which was it was pretty heavy duty. It was in the, all the international news and everything. Right. And I got pulled into there to be the spokesperson. And my concern was, you know, that if the this there was a reporter who had broken this whole story and stuff, and she was like a pit bull. She was really tough. And 
My concern was that if she found out that I like your boobs as the spokesperson for oh the Oh my god! Oh no! Was this the tail hook? No, it? no. This was one where these uh, some of the senior cadets were using their authority to have sex or to co- oh, coerce young right. women to have sex and stuff. Yeah, and you know, and it was it was a big mess for for quite a while. Speaking of tail hook, I did go to tail hook a couple of years uh, because I was in Vegas uh, at the time, and that was a very hash like uh, party. But uh, we'll stay on target here. Yeah. Okay. You have done something that combines photography and your hash name in your own little I Like Boobs photography project. Tell us about that. With a name like I Like Your Boobs, it, it, it causes a lot of funny responses in people. You know, like some men, when I say, uh, what's your, they say, what's your name? And I say, I like your boobs. And they're like, really? And I'm like, no, no, not really. When the women ask, they really get a kick out of it. And um, some of them have me repeat it several times or, or they say, tell me again, tell me again. Um, <laughs> and that came up with uh, something I thought, you know, they say, well, do you really like the, my boobs? And I'm like, well, I like all boobs. And that kind of came up with an idea to just do a photography project with my face and a thumbs up and a picture of the boobs. Uh, but you wouldn't see their face because, uh, you know, just because everybody's so worried these days about being online. And I would ask them, you know, is it OK if I post this online as long as we can't see your head? And there everybody was fine with that. Created a project and it, just as I was visiting hashes, I would tell them, hey, you know, I do this thing. It's called the I Like Your Boobs Project. And would you be interested in being in it? And once I told them about all the details, most of them were very much, very much into it. And I think I got about 60 or 70 photos that I only posted on Hashspace and got quite a following on there. <laughs> Some people liked it so much. There was one guy in California. He actually somehow got a picture of my face, printed a, a regular size one-to-one image of, of my face, put it on a stick. And he got about 10 girls out in California to show their boobs with my face uh, on, a, on a stick there. <laughs> and they're part of the I, I Like Your Boobs photo project. Yes, yes. And so it was a lot of fun. You know, I did it for like a year. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was just a phase. Quite fun. And the, the women enjoyed it, you know, as long as it's all good natured and there's no way to tell who it is kind of thing. So nobody's worried about job problems and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it worked out really nicely. Oh, I want to say 2007 to 2009. How about just a, a few of the states or hashes they haven't mentioned that you did get to travel to? You can think of any? I did... San Diego, the what, that was the America Interhasher, the um, right. in '89. Right. Um, I did a lot of Austin stuff, some Texas Nashes. Nice. So when I was living in Vegas, I traveled a lot, like to LA for they had used to have a Triple X campout or something like that. Uh huh. Have there been memorable hashers that come right to mind that you've met over all these years? You know, look, there's some there's some classics like uh, Tumbling Bill and and Ralph Wadsworth from DCH3. They were just, I mean, so cool to sit there and drink some beer and talk to them and hear their stories, just, you know, how, what they went through and how they started the DCH3. There's hashers like Hazakashi, Higgins, you know, that are just fun to talk to because they, they're so into it and they've done so much. They've been like hundred country kind of things. Yeah. Jill Jackson from Rumson. I think he's the coolest hasher there is. He's <laughs> just a great guy. Just very, I, I made a pilgrimage to Rumson because I really had never run with him before. And I wanted to, and I was up upstate New York. I took a train, a metro, a ferry, 
I walked and then I got a car ride to get to the hash. It was like four and a half hours to get there, but I made it in time and, and they treated me very nicely, gave me a hat and a shirt. And they were, I think they were impressed by the effort I made just to get there. And it was real, well worth it. And it was so cool to see those guys. One of the very longest standing hashes, all men again. Yeah. And an East Coast hash. That's pretty interesting. So you know a lot of people. And a lot of people obviously know you, even though sometimes you're trying to stay under the radar, I guess. Yeah. I also, I had an eight-year break. So you started 42 years ago with an eight-year break. So almost 35 years of hashing. If you had to guess how many trails you've been on. Huh. I would say guessing 1500 or so yeah um, you yeah. know because like when i was living in dc there's hash almost every day mm -hmm. and i was running three to four a week for a few years mm -hmm. yeah i mean i and then when i was in korea just hashing like crazy i barely saw the country because all i was doing was hashing uh, <laughs> did you hash anywhere else in asia while you were in korea in thailand like i went to a thai nas hash in Pattaya, and in bangkok i hashed a bit there I went to Bali and I tried to hash with them. They had this thing where you show up at a bar and at two o'clock, the, they'll give you a ride to the hash. They didn't mention that you should tell them that you're going to be at the bar waiting for a ride. Yeah, man, that's basically it. I didn't do a lot because I, I mean, all over Korea and then I didn't travel except for China and Thailand. Apart from founding hashes, has your lifestyle and job load allowed you to get into mismanagement on any clubs apart from the ones you started? Yeah, a bit, but it was... Like, you know, like when I was in Seoul, I was, I was the hash cash for the Seoul hash, mm -hmm. the men's hash there. I was an RA for, for the Pikes Peak hash. Mm -hmm. And then like I'm the GM, we started a hash here in where I live uh, called the Erotique uh, hash house series because I live in an area called Ero. That's how the French pronounce it. Ero, right, all right. the, the Americans. And so we call it the Erotique. <laughs> and so we started that, but unfortunately it was right before the pandemic. So we got two runs in and then we haven't, you know, had one since because just the lockdown stuff. Yeah. Wow. You have a camper van. Where has that been? I have a Volkswagen camper. And so I do these one to two month trips. I went and got a degree in fine art photography after I retired from the Air Force. So I do these photo trips, and but I build the photo trips around hash weekends uh, using the camper van. I've gone all the way up to Norway and hashing the whole time and, you know, catching like the Euro hash up in Sweden. But I just came back from this like a month ago. I came back from a one and a half month where I did Dalmatian hash cruise. Mm -hmm. I did the Swiss Nash hash. I did the Pussy Galore's Alpine experience. And I did the, the Euro hash in Prague. Wow. So it's, it's a great way to travel. It's a great way to hash because basically the best thing is after the hash, you can go crash in your van and you don't have to drive. Wow. Yeah. And it's a cheap way to travel around. So it's really nice. Uh, highly recommend it. And so my village is super quiet. So when it's too quiet, I get in the van and go for a trip for a month or two. And then I come, when I'm tired of the road, I come back here and recover. Nice. So as a trained photographer, do you take pictures on the hash? One of the things I was going to mention in terms of mismanagement is everybody always says, you're the photographer, you you have to take the pictures. And so <laughs> if I'm visiting, I always take my iPhone and I try to get about 30 or 40 or 50 that I can share afterwards. Any of the hashes that I'm like close to, I am already tagged as the, the hash photographer. So All right. yeah. yeah, and I like doing that. That's nice. It's a nice way to share. Have you gone to the World Inner Hash at all? The only one I've done was Cardiff. I mean, that was just a great time. That was the first time to see the, the scope that how large it could get. I mean, I thought that the Inner America in San Diego was big. No, Cardiff was quite impressive inside the stadium there and everything. Uh, and it just seems like my dad was always going to the World Inner Hashes and yeah. uh, he was always trying to get me to go. But the job was just, I don't know, it just didn't make it possible. Not a lot of people have started hashing and 
maintained it across many decades, starting at age 17 like you. A lot of the hashes, you started hashes, you saw hashes that were all men in a lot of places, similar in tradition. Have you seen hashing actually change or is it just a variety of clubs you've been to? Or do you think hashing has changed since the late 70s? Definitely aged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the the songs are a lot ruder, and, and I'm a, I'm guilty of that. I, I'm one of the you know I sing some of them too when I'm in the in the right crowd. You know, we have a, a much different influence on in terms of the songs, and and then also I've seen I don't know some of the hashes like I think it's called the fuck hash, you know, feed up kennel, Colorado kennel, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where they don't even ever leave the hotel, and <laughs> that I don't really like so much. I don't think that's. But you know, my whole thing is if there's a hash and you don't like what they're doing go to another hash. That's what they're doing. Let them do it. Who cares? But go find another hash and don't have a a whine about it. What is it about hashing that struck with you? And what are the values or traditions that have been important to you? I've always said that hash is my religion. And it's like, you know, I go on Sunday and I, and, and it's like going to church and and it helps me, it just helps cleanse me. It helps me feel good. My, one of my favorite things about the hash is they don't talk politics. They don't talk religion. They're not racist. You know, they're very open to anybody. And, and I love that. I think that's really so important that it's just the the openness of non-exclusivity, except for the like the DCH3 with the men. It's just a great place to go. Like when I was in some heavy stress during when I was working at the academy there, Air Force Academy. I would go just to relieve some pressure and stress from the stuff I was under. It felt so good. It really rejuvenated me every every week. Yeah, it occurs to me sometimes, I don't know who studies this, anthropologists, sociologists. I'd like to see a comparative analysis of other groups that are so diverse and so close to conflict-free. It is just amazing. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. And I read a study. I thought you were going to talk about this study where singing the songs, songs that everybody knows, helps the cohesiveness of the group that everybody gets to know the songs. And and I think that's part of it. It's just we're all sharing experiences uh, that we know. And it makes it, you know, it just makes it a great club. The lowercase t, the tribal belonging and cohesion and support is yeah. there it's there and it the fascinating thing to me i can probably cut this my ramblings out but it applies across as you travel and drop in somewhere where you really don't know anybody or know just a few people that you've met somewhere else you're still part of it and yeah that is kind of rare apart from maybe there are parallels in the military where but there's certainly politics and hashing too maybe there's parallels there with a organizational enrollment that has some of that but yeah hashing is very rewarding that way to me too yeah absolutely and and it's funny like when you go visit a hash when you get there for the start there there might be one or two people that'll come up to you and say hi how are you it depends on the hash you know and 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 we're all kind of like shake hands and yes i've been here i've been there blah 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 but then at the end after you know a couple bears everybody's hugging you and i love you goodbye (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's great what is your projection where you're going next? I know you kind of say it's time to pick up and go. I'll head somewhere. Do you have any, how far off do you project what you'll be doing in hashing? Do you have anything on your calendar or radar? I think what we're trying to do is, and I say we, my girlfriend was, she was living with me for a year and then she had to go back to work. And now she works up in, in Germany in Hamburg. We had signed up for five hash weekends or five hash events. And then COVID hit. 
and so we couldn't travel anywhere. Right. And so like Trinidad and Tobago, Diva, Belgium Nash, there are two other ones. They were all postponed and postponed. So now it seems like they're all coming up on the radar for 2022. Um, so that's what I'm seeing is, a, is quite a bit of traveling and catching up on all those. What was the last thing you did before COVID shut down these kind we of We went to the Paris uh, 1000s. Ah. And that was probably a few weeks before the shutdown. And we were a little paranoid because nobody was wearing masks. We didn't really, they didn't recommend wear masks at that time. We didn't have shots, you know, and then a couple people maybe got sick, but it wasn't, as far as we know, it wasn't COVID. So we did that one. And, and then, you know, you, you got home, you're tired. You're like, oh man, I wonder, you know, but no, it was just tiredness from the weekend. Let's talk more about hashing and the future. What do you think? It seems like it's very strong and rolling along in all these European kennels and the world will come back after the pandemic and adjust. Yeah. Lots of, lots of places already have. What do you see for the long term? In my crystal ball, I see less hashes, mm. but I see maybe better quality. I think that we're going to lose some hashes like uh, just, oh, two weeks ago, I was in touch with 10 high in, in Barcelona and he was one, he was keeping that Barcelona hash stringing along. And now he's, he, he's moved to London and he said, Barcelona hash is dead. That's a big hash. I mean, it was a big city. I see that some hashes are just going to drop off. And I don't mind this, that we get small, less numbers of hashes, better quality people who are really into the hashing. And we get rid of some of the people that are just there. You know, they're not going to run a trail. They're not going to, you know, they're just there to drink beer, cheap beer. You've been to the giant Cardiff World Interhash and Inter-Americas, and you travel to a lot of these things now. This does size matter to you? What is the, <laughs> what's the group size that you like for, you know, for I, somewhere? I love around 50 to a hundred. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great size for a weekend because you get to see everybody. You get to meet most of them. You know, the big ones are fun because wow, it's just so, so massive in, in what's happening, but you just don't see like people that you've known for a long time and you just don't, you never see them because it's just too much going on. So yeah. I, I like 50, 50, 100. Uh, I think that's a great size and, and it's very intimate. What's the earliest memorabilia that you still have? Do you have that shirt that you designed? Yeah, I do. And I want to give it to the to Neptunus, to the Hash Museum, because, uh, you know, it's, it's a first first of its kind. And it's a, it was a really cool. It was done very well by an artist friend. And so I have some stuff from Carthage, original shirt from Carthage, the, the first shirt they did. So I think it was 79 or 80. I've got a cellar full of hash gear and I've been getting rid of it. Like I, my, my girlfriend took 20 shirts and she sewed it into a red dress. She took 20 red shirts and made it into a really nice red dress for me. Oh, nice. Some ladies from the Denver house, they took a bunch of my shirts and made it into a blanket for me. I don't know if they think I'm all getting old. You know, I need a blanket. <laughs> yeah, comforter. Do you remember the first red dress? Where did you first find a red dress at? The first red dress I think I went to was in San Diego. Ah, okay. And I would say 89 or 90. Yeah. It was one where, what was the, the hash band? Uh, last Train to Cuntsville and mm. those guys. And, and then there were, there were like 1,500 people. We shut down traffic. Uh, that, you know, because at that time they, they didn't require us to register this thing and everything. We shut down traffic in downtown San Diego. And then the group after the red dress, we had to go to, and, and what's her name? The Miss uh, Red, the lady who started Red Dress, Lady in Red. Yeah. Yeah. She was there. You know, it was cool. It was just kind of neat to meet her and, and, and do all that. But then we went on, a hundred of us went on down to Mexico after the red dress. That was a crazy follow after. So. Yeah, that happens to a lot of people in San Diego. Yeah. 
<laughs> I believe it. Yeah. It's uh, very close by there. And yeah, it's, uh, that's a whole different podcast usually. for. <laughs> yeah. So when I was living in Vegas, I traveled a lot like to LA for, they had used to have a triple X camp out or something like that. Uh-huh. But what's the club, uh, the group that they just get together only once in a while out, out West and they had one. The second one was in Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, it's the Iguana Hash. Oh, Iguana, yeah. I mean, after the red dress, they took a, a hundred of us down to Mexico, you know, like on two buses. One bus got totally naked. Ours didn't. The second day after trail on Sunday, we were at somebody, one of the hashers owned a beach house looking over the ocean. The hash band was playing and they got naked then. And then we all got naked and everybody's dancing in the, you know, in the, in the sunset, you know, with the band playing. It was a really fantastic time. Wow. 200 people, 100 people? 100 people, yeah. Wow. It was just, it was limited to two buses. Yeah. And then it reminded me also, and you probably know this one, we're in Toronto for the Inter-Americas. Um, one night uh, there was a, you guys rented a church, an old church. And you guys had rented a church and there was a band playing. It, it used to be a church. It used to be a church, and, and now it's just a music hall kind of thing. But that's yeah. where one of the apres were, and the band there got naked, and everybody in the audience got naked in the church, the old church. But that band played at something like 20 annual anniversary weekends in a row, and they always... That wasn't a hash band, but they were kind of a hash band because they had been to all of the Hogtown anniversary weekends, more than any member had been to. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I remember I remember my dad's eyes getting big because he, he stood against the wall. He kept his clothes on, but he saw me get naked and get out there and start dancing with everybody, all these chicks. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a funny memory. It's fun what the hash can do when they can close the doors and not offend anybody outside the walls. In Canada, you have to pay someone to serve alcohol in a, oh. rent, a rented place. So there are people uh -huh. that take training and they're trained to not serve people that are too drunk to keep drinking. Yeah. And they end up taking their clothes off behind the bar too. <laughs> Very cool. <It's> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do love it. What is your girlfriend, Hasher, in Germany? Yeah. Hidden Asset is her name. Okay. She's a French girl that uh, she's working up at the consulate in Hamburg, helping push the French language to, to Germans. Ah, interesting. He's the GM now of Hamburg. Wow. I have never hashed in Hamburg. I did pass through for just a few hours once. What is that a big hash? I think, I mean, I just saw pictures from their run yesterday and I think it was like 15 or 20. So yeah. it, she's, she's getting it up to speed. Um, she's pretty excited about it. So she's getting it going. But the other part is there's a bunch of hashes in Germany. So the, they yeah. do a lot of traveling. Yeah, nice. People like Bill Panton. And some of those elders from Rumson and Washington, uh, DCH3, were you significantly younger than a lot of those people when you're hashing with them, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a neat take as some of those guys are very tradition-oriented. And there are hashes that DC has a very strong military tradition. Was Seoul like that? Is that something that's been part of your hashing Milieu um, or whatever. Seoul was different. It was not as much military. I mean, it was probably half military and, and half expats. Mm -hmm. But and then there was all uh, there was one Korean guy, great guy. I can't remember his name. He was a Korean Marine. DCH three was a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely mostly military. That we have, they have a VFW that they basically took over. They use that as their kind of home base. Some great guys like Willie and 
Marty Mishlik or Mouse, you know, just some great, great people that are that are there. I've known for a long time and they, they my dad, we were all part of it and stuff. So they really treat me well. It's a good area to visit and to go hashing with. Oh, cool. What's a crazy memory from all these years? It's the San Diego in America. Well, we, they had a trail and then we ended up in some park in downtown San Diego and it was surrounded by houses. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a thousand of us or so ah, you're right. in this park. And they had a little stage. Uh, they decided to do the Miss Interhash contest. I guess because of what the crowd was saying, one of the ladies uh, decided to show her breasts. And then all of a sudden there were police helicopters and police <laughs> running in and, and stuff coming in. And they went up and arrested the lady we just picked as Miss Interhash. Yeah. And so she went and it was almost a riot because they're taking away Miss Interhash. We're drunk and we're pissed. We were not happy that they were going to do that. Well, they took her away. Everybody calmed down. But later that night, I saw her in the hot tub. <laughs> and, and I said wait, you were just arrested. What happened? How did you get out so fast? She goes, well, the attorney general for San Diego was hashing with us and he came down quickly and sprung me out. So uh, that's how she showed up at the hot tub that night. I never heard that. That's great. Yeah. The helicopter, the helicopters are kind of infamous for anybody that's not been there, but that's great. (laughs) It was a fun story. And and I was actually talking to somebody, I think in Prague just uh, last month, and they they remember that exactly happening like that and stuff. So it was kind of fun. That's great. Have you ever gotten hurt on trail? No, no. You know, other than like uh, some pretty bad hangovers, uh, normal scrapes, you know, poison ivy ticks, but uh, been lucky not to break a bone on, on trail. What do you do with your photography, your non-hash photography? What's that about? I, I sell it on Getty Stock. Uh-huh. And, and basically, this is a second career. And so I have a retirement from the military, which is fine. My photography is just, I said, second career is going to be for what I love, not for the money. I'm just selling five photos a month, maybe, maybe 100, 150 bucks a month. And so it's just to keep me busy and off the streets, just doing what I love. I love to see when big companies buy my photo to use it for whatever product or purpose and just to see it being appreciated. That's nice. Did you ever get into designing anything else? I mean, you did a couple t-shirt designs early on, right? Yeah, yeah. And were those the last of your hash creative yeah, I, design? I'm a better photographer than I am an artist. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I'm nothing like, you know, one of my good buds, Eiffel Tower, you know, the patches yeah. he creates are, are incredible. It, just fun. You know, he's always coming up with something new. And uh, that's why he has that happy coat that's like 69 feet long or something. Yeah. And people will know his name. Guinness Book of World Records is, I think confirmed it finally i think he went back they told him he had to do this and he went back and did it and so like now he's going to get in there which is great yeah what's any other crazy stories white powder or police run run-ins right were you on any of those like in dc we had a real problem with the police in virginia the website used to like post where the end would be where the circle would be so for people that couldn't make the trail but they could still catch us at the end and what was happening was the cops found our website and they were showing up and they'd be waiting for us at the end and basically telling us if we had a circle and drink beer, they would give us tickets and arrest us. It was like a really, it was pretty not happy state for that stuff. And we had this one point where they they had a van for White House. You know, they would put the kegs in there and and we used to drink beer before the run would start and they would buy the beer in DC because it was much cheaper. They didn't have the same taxes. One time we had our trail, we drank the beer before we all go running and we were at the beer check and the beer van never shows up. We're like, what the hell happened? Oh. What happened was Virginia Alcohol Beverage Control, they were watching us and they were watching us drink before. And then they went in and arrested the, the brew crew, which is Beer Ferry, basically confiscated everything. 
And it was really bad because he got charged with some felony things, so, you know, especially moving alcohol across state lines. We raised like 6,000 bucks for him for, for his lawyer fees because it was felony uh, kind of things. And he also, he had a, a clearance, you know, which was going to be affected by whatever happened. Wow. He got parole, but, you know, so they did, never got the felony counts on him, but he got parole. But it was just, uh, it was such a horrible, horrible thing, you know, and, and it's just made hashing in Alexandria, Arlington, just very uh, undesirable. You had to be really careful. Yeah. Does not sound like it, that police action made the world a better place in any way. No, know? I mean, we were just like, why don't you catch some real criminals? We're drinking a beer, you know, <laughs> we're all of age. It was really kind of frustrating. It's uh, just Virginia. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you've had a good look at hashing around the world in a lot of different cultures and had an impact and seem to be enjoying it for the longest foreseeable future. So that's great to hear. I've said my goal is at least 50 years of hashing, even if they have to push me in a wheelbarrow with a case of beer on my chest. And I'm getting closer to it. I, I just love it. It's just my family. It's been my whole life, uh, which is it's been great. That's fantastic. Do you have another story about your dad, Silver Fox? Yeah, this one time my father and I were at, we were at a hash somewhere and uh, he had to do a down down. And I think he had to do it faster than somebody else. <laughs> and he, took the, he took it and he put it down in like three seconds. And I'm looking at him like, I didn't know you could open your throat. I didn't know you knew how to do that. And I, I go, why did you tell me? He goes, because I didn't want you to learn. You don't, how, you don't need to learn how to drink more beer. It was good of him as a fatherly thing, but I was just so impressed that he knew how to open the throat and do a, like a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> Quite a hasher. Yeah, he was. He was really, really cool. And you mentioned he hashed right up until he passed. Yeah, he wanted to get his 1000s at CH3. Right. And so he was within about three or four. So he kept going. We, we had a friend who would pick him up and take him because I was over in France then. And we had a friend who would pick him up and take him just to make sure he got there. And he, he did make it within, uh, you know, a couple couple trails. He made it past there. So nice. very happy for that. It was important to him. Yeah. He's somebody that I probably haven't seen him for 15 years, but he made an impression. I yeah, but right you knew the mustache, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's really, that really makes me happy. I like your boobs. Great to meet you. Let me ask you, is the RA always right? Damn straight, man. Damn straight. Okay. The tradition is strong in this one. <laughs> great. On, on. All right. On, on. Take care. I want to thank second generation hasher. I like your boobs for coming on the podcast today. This is the on on podcast. Hasher history, hasher voices, hasher stories, new episodes every week until next time on on. This is Ra. To close the circle. Here's the hash anthem sung by mother hash. Swing low. Sweet child, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet child, coming forth to carry.